Hello, welcome everyone to our episode with Pete Roberts. Um, he spent almost 20 years involved with the AFL and, and the sports tech industry in Australia. Thanks for coming on again, Pete. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, I think the last time we spoke, it was all doom and gloom in, in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. This time we're, you're back on and, and the AFL's back on. So much better news for, for footy fans across Australia. Yeah, it's exciting. I think last time I spoke to you, I had my best hoodie on. I hadn't had a shave. I was in the study um, in my little bunker locked away. But uh, the outlook's a lot different now, which is great. And uh, we're starting to get back to a bit of normality now, which is with the season starting. Round two just happened. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting to be able to watch footy again. Oh, awesome. Okay. And I think, look, the topics that we were sort of covering last time, again, kind of reflected the situation. But we've got, obviously, much more positive news now. But... um. I think with a lot of the changes, you know, with, with clubs in clubs and hubs and um, obviously the, the caps on how many, um, how many staff are allowed into the games and, and obviously salary cap measures, et cetera, I thought that'd be a good place to start. Um, I guess, can you give us a, a really quick update on, on how clubs are dealing with this, like what the caps are and, and, and do you think it's, it's a good measure that the AFL have brought in or how's the balance going to be, at least initially for the clubs? Yeah, I think last time we spoke, it was either close to being finalised or finalised that there was, I think, a 25-person football department cap. And I think I said at the time that that was manageable from a season perspective um, when you're just dealing with a men's team and just dealing with a 17-week season. Yeah. Um, beyond that, when you start looking at um, recruiting leagues and the players that miss out having to play, um, the women's team coming back, uh, different programs and different schedules for different players, that's when it would have become really tricky. So um, there's still a lot to play out in that in that space, I guess, um, and the strain that it's sort of putting on the staff that are left behind um, probably only gets bigger um, from this point onwards. So clearly you've got some challenges around the protocols um, with the COVID stuff. Um, the AFL's been very strict, as we've seen, with, with what they need to do, and rightly so. Yeah. Um, but uh, the I feel for those who have become, you know, the compliance officer or even, you know, those who just have to adhere to those regulations because they're really, really strict and that also probably adds significant workload to, um, to an already reduced footy department. So um, the 25 is manageable from a body count perspective, but moving forward, it's going to be a great challenge for the industry, I think. Um, it lo- does look like anecdotally... Um, what's happened is that there's been some flexibility about the number of match day staff that are available. Um, I don't know the exact sort of numbers or the ruling there, but um, to my knowledge, there's been a few people that <clears throat> have been away from the teams that have been allowed to come in just for a match day role, which is great um, because I think the flexibility um, that was needed to be able to set things up the way they used to be. Um, even, you know, my area of expertise in a coach's box technology, for example, um, that just wasn't going to go away with reduced numbers. So you still got the same amount of setup. You still got some intricate things that are going on in each coach's box and some really sort of ambitious um, technology plans that still need to be executed. So um, it was good to see some of my old colleagues back um, in the coach's box, even though they'd been unfortunately removed from that sort of week to week role um, dealing with the coaches and the players. So right. um, that's been a positive. But uh, the flip side of that, I guess, is the is the negative aspect of people losing their jobs and losing their roles or being stood down. And, um, you know, to my knowledge, there's a lot of guys who, um, who work in that sports technology space that 
uh, are no longer around. A lot of guys with a lot of experience. So um, it's disappointing to see. Hopefully that does change, um, you know, maybe as, as the 2021 season sort of recovers and things get back to what we sort of used to know. Um, it, it's changed, obviously, for the, for the foreseeable future, but maybe we get back towards what it used to be. But, um, yeah, I can, I've definitely been saying to people that it seems that that sports tech role in football, in AFL football, um, seems to be one of the departments that's lent less on experience than some of the others. So, um, you know, coaching groups are, are probably going to favour um, coaches with a lot of experience and have a smaller coaching group, obviously. Mm. Um, in the sports science space, you know, guys that have spent a lot of time in footy are going to become really, really valuable or still valuable. Uh, experienced recruiters are probably going to um, come to the fore again once they finally return to clubs. You've got to feel for them because... Most of them are stood down at the moment with no other leagues running. Um, but the sports technology side of things seems to be the opposite. So um, a lot of guys that I know of that, that might not be uh, at clubs anymore have, in essence, been too expensive to keep. So um, that's probably a really disappointing um, side effect of what's happened with this pandemic is um, those guys who've spent a lot of years in AFL footy um, have found themselves out of a job in favour of some youngsters who might be just finding their way, which is great. They get an opportunity. Um, but there's clearly no right or wrong answer, but it's, um, it's disappointing to see all that experience go out the door and clubs willing to sort of cop a hit in the expertise and the real technical knowledge side of things and just kind of get by. Right. Um, yeah, I wonder what the side effect will be um, moving forward of that in a long season. Right. with inexperienced staff sort of dealing with that. Yep. I was just going to say, sorry, on that topic, I think just before we started recording, we were talking about, I guess, more the positive end of the spectrum where, look, in the short term, it's, it's impacted footy and obviously the world horribly. I think the one positive sign, personally, as a fan that I was thinking of was if you've got, there's, there's obviously talks of, you know, crowds coming back in. It might be X percent of capacity or whatever it is. But if we're talking about crowds coming back in, I think, Crowds coming back in, then the, the sort of second level competitions coming back in. And then the I think if we can, you know, see light at the end of the tunnel towards the end of the season, going into finals, both for AFL and, and the other sporting codes in Australia, I think that sends a really positive message for what's possible over the off season and going into next season. Whereas if it was a case of not, no crowds till the end of the year, really harsh restrictions, hubs for the next six months, I think that would have been really doom and gloom, even potentially going into next season, because the money would have just dried up so significantly. Do you, does that make sense from someone that's in the industry? Because obviously, as a fan, it sounds great, but what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think the money troubles are not going away. Um, it's going to take years to recover from what just happened. But yeah, it is. It, it's such a positive sort of spin on what we would have encountered when we discussed things, you know, a few months ago, um, I wouldn't have ever foreseen that crowds would have been close to coming back at this point of, point of the year, which is a great thing. Um, hopefully that means that the protocols on the players and the staff are lifted a little bit more um, and we do start getting back to normality a little bit. Um, but the grey area is guys who've been sort of stood down for now, um, still in limbo until we learn a bit more and then realistically... You know, some leagues might not play this year, so then it's it's not until February when they start back up again. So, um, so what happens there is an interesting one. But 
yeah, as you said, it's not all doom and gloom. It's great to have footy back. Um, being a passionate uh, Melbourneian, it's um, the city, the sort of heartbeat of the city is really events and crowds and, yeah. um, you know, the, the passion that the Melbourneians show for just turning up the stuff. Um, it, it was a real shame to see the soul of the city kind of ripped out a little bit when, when you just couldn't do anything. So, um, you know, to have the footy calendar back and things to look forward to some um, step in the right direction. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. Like I'm based in Sydney. I'm a massive Swans fan, but I've got to say, like, I love going to Swans games, but every time we go to Melbourne and to be fair, I've only really come to Melbourne for, you know, grand finals or world cup cricket finals or, or really big AFL games. Um, but whenever I've come there, they're just the experience of walking through the city, passing by a couple of the, the you know, the big bars on the way and then walking into the G. And then you compare that with every time I've got to go to a Swans game, I'm catching a bus from Central Station, which hmm. is like a 10-minute drive that ends up taking 40 minutes because of the traffic. Hmm. Uh, I've, got, I've got to definitely agree with you on Melbourne and, and the attitude of showing up. The one thing Melbourne does well is crowds. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you put an event on, people will turn up. Yeah. Well, on, on the, I guess, the more fun side of things with, with you know, how things are going to, like in terms of the fans, I think the one issue that, that definitely came up and look, it was, I guess, presented in an entertaining way in the news, but it was a pretty serious issue for footy clubs with, um, with Eddie Maguire and him being drilled on the news in terms of, you know, giving, giving people their, their money back in terms of memberships, et cetera. Obviously with, you know, with footy back on and, and crowds hopefully coming back soon, it's less of an issue now. Um, but I was mentioning to you that, you know, we, we were on a, a sport tech Zoom call a, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the topic of a crowd engagement in terms of people reaching out to their members and how do you engage potentially 100,000 people that, that can't go to a game um, and B, you know, watching it on TV and, and having sort of, you know, crowd noise simulated, et cetera. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, I guess, what's been done so far and, and what are, are there any sort of innovative ideas that you've heard of or, or thought of that you think could work well? Yeah, I haven't heard too much about what the clubs are doing, but, um, you know, what's that old saying? Sort of necessity breeds innovation or whatever it is. I've probably got that wrong, but um, <laughs> yeah, the mother of all invention or something like that. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the clubs will, now that they've, they've sort of probably got a few more people back on deck, will start to look at ways to sort of um, engage differently with supporters. You see the social media teams have all been retained which is great because that's such an important part for um for fans even when they even when they can go to the footy really just to get sort of an inside look into what goes on at their clubs and keep them engaged but i think the next 12 months will um will really sort of bear fruit on what initiatives they've put in place and how they've sort of looked after their members and um yeah i think uh, footy fans are in essence a generous bunch a lot of them would would spend a lot on their memberships and um, there would be a large portion that don't go to as many games as it equates to the real value of their membership and, and happy to support their team um, financially in that way. So um, it's a delicate balance, obviously. You didn't want a flood of people wanting their money back because uh, that would significantly impact the uh, viability of the clubs. But yeah, it's good to see that hasn't happened, to my knowledge, yeah. anyway. Well, with um, just on that note, I remember watching one of the AFL talk shows, I think it was well, a month, month and a half ago, and they were saying that realistically i think it was like a handful of clubs or whatever just couldn't financially cope with what's going on obviously that was in the middle of all the doom and gloom with footy back on i'm, I'm hoping that's not the case um but is there have you heard of any ideas or, or what clubs are doing to sort of help 
get back on like i've heard a few really cool ideas in terms of like for example like at the nrl games there's been the 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 cardboard cutouts or whatever and you can buy them for like 20 bucks or, or whatever mm. um have you heard of any ideas or can you can you think of any ideas that the afl could do to sort of re like you know the fans are not every fan but the fans that are able to would love to to contribute to their club or or, or the or the afl in in times like these are there any ways that i guess clubs could could facilitate that in the short term if it's not necessarily getting 90k at the g yeah well the exciting part is you know if they're going to let ten thousand fans into the mcg and a portion of them are going to be supporters and members just sort of how you how you work in that sort of ballot or lottery system and make it some sort of form of entertainment i guess um you know you could live stream the draw if you wanted to um imagine people watching from their lounge rooms on the website and uh and they get selected to go to, you know, a, a game that they've always wanted to or a blockbuster, you know, as much as there's not many crowd, uh, much crowd yeah, there. But, yeah, you know, even something like that would be, um, would be pretty fun to watch, get the sponsors involved, try and find a way to give them the activation that they don't get um, in front of the, you know, 60,000 on a game day. So, yeah. um, you know, things like that will be uh, kicked around the footy clubs. There's, a, there's people that are a lot smarter than I am that could find some really good ideas and, how to engage people on the socials. And um, and the thing is, too, the extension of that will be they'll be able to tell the stories of those people yeah. that go to the games. You know, they'll probably link in with filming them from the stands and um, and sort of show them as much as possible. And obviously, the broadcasters will pivot and, and show the... I didn't catch much of the Adelaide Port game, but, um, you know, show as much of those people as they possibly can just to... Um, yeah, it's it's one thing showing empty stands, and then there's another at least getting people in there and um, being able to put them on the telly and and show that there's uh, there's someone there. Yeah, I think um, just on that note, I was thinking that this break in the footy has almost allowed the industry to sort of like I feel this when I watch the NRL and the AFL talk shows. It's it's always about the no, you know the next coach I'm about to get fired or or, yeah. or whatever. Like it's it's. Like you don't want to say, but it just seemed heartless. Now that when you when you think about everything that we went through in the last three months, mm. talk about that stuff regularly, it just seems frustrating. But one thing that I realized was was amazing. I'm not sure if you saw on, on the um the AFL site the series that they've got with um last time I cried. Mm. I thought that was absolutely amazing, and it just sort of I know we should always bear this in mind. And obviously, you worked in footy clubs, so you'd know it more than most. Is they are the players are human at the end of the day. Um, and it just helps sort of break down that barrier. Um, do you feel like the fans would have that, I guess, more of a connection now with with that downtime and actually feeling for the players, obviously going through the the hubs and being away from their families and everything? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um it's brought a real human element to it. You, you're still going to have a lot of people that just don't get it, but um, but on the whole, the footy fans sort of understand that that everyone's just sort of trying their best. And in a season like this, you know you. It's not going to be 100% fair. Um, we are at a 17-game fixture, which is great because um, that means you only play each team once. But, you know, clearly teams that are going into hubs and things like that might be at a disadvantage in the short term. You know, what that happens at the back end of the year, they might be advantaged because they get a big run of home games um, yeah. to end the season. So I think everyone's sort of parked the, the sort of bee in their bonnet about a few things that ultimately in this sort of situation don't really don't really matter in the whole scheme of things. and. We're just playing a game of footy and trying to win. Um, yep. You know, the, the coaches will still have their competitive spirit. So they might have fewer staff and fewer, you know, dollars to spend and 
a lot less technology, but uh, that won't stop them asking for stuff. So yeah, um, what, what I found was really funny. I think it was, was it Nathan Buckley that said he was fine with playing a few more away. Oh, sorry. No, he was fine with going into a hub for a short period of time. Yep. He was fine to do that because the, the Western Australian, the South Australian clubs have, have made the sacrifice in the short term. He was happy to pay back in the future. He knows he's got a good team and they're well coached and they travel well. So I don't think he cares. Yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. Like you, you're just so, I guess, trained as a fan to see these coaches just like, you know, like cutthroat and would never give an inch away, always asking and complaining. Mm. And seeing him sort of like the softer side of the coach, like I thought that was amazing to, to sort of see that as a fan. Yeah, yeah, you'll see it. And uh, even the ones that are in the hubs now, they've got to strike that balance between not wanting to use, um, you know, being away from home as an excuse of losing games. Um, but a lot of the times... It'll galvanise them, but um, it looks like after the round two results that um, we're going to have a good season that's not entirely predictable, which is fantastic. Right. And one thing I was wondering, from the, from the I guess, the, the human side of, of all of this, like with the guys in the hubs, the WA teams, and I think the South Australian teams are, are going this week to the Gold Coast. Yep. How, how would that work for the players, the extended squad, the coaching staff? Are they all in it together away from their families in the Gold Coast or are their families allowed to come there? Like, how does that work? And how long is that meant to be for at the moment? Um, to my knowledge, they've lifted some restrictions on immediate family being able to visit. So that's a good yeah. thing. Um, now, the, a lot of the borders still locked down would present some challenges there. But um, yeah, as far as I understand it, they, um, they're all in it together. They're all in the resort or the hotel together so players and staff obviously um a lot of the staff get forgotten about in this whole thing you know yeah. the players are the ones who have to perform but the staff have to perform their role as well so um they can be forgotten about and there'd be others in um different situations with maybe young children or um uh not a lot of family support um aside from themselves being away from home so right. um it's a challenge for everyone but the good thing is um you know everyone's mindful of that and there's an end date um, coming hopefully soon yep. um, once the border restrictions are lifted then at least the AFL can get on with um, you know fixturing some teams to come back and others to go away into a maybe a WA hub or an SA hub yep. for a few weeks and you know as long as there's certainty about when they can come back home which is probably the big sticking point now then um, I think teams are prepared to do it in an extraordinary season like this um, they wouldn't want to do it as a um, as an ongoing thing, but obviously they don't have to. So, um, you know, for a one-off season, uh, it, it's probably an acceptable thing and hopefully it doesn't really affect the performances one way or another. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully we can just get to a point where anyone can beat anyone and it's not uh, the fault of a hub or an extended stay away from home that has a massive impact. Yeah, I think if it's a one-month block, I think there's, there's a few different ways to think about it. Like, as a fan, you're thinking all right, well, the first week they've got all this energy and, and, you know, they're away from home, but they're still relatively fresh and they just decided to rip in and, and play their first game. The second week, yeah, fine, you might have a bit of a drop-off, but you'd think that because they know they're only in it for a month, it's almost like you just give it your all and then you're out. Like, it's almost yeah. a release. But from what yep. I've heard is, um, I think it was West Coast said they, they wouldn't do it for more than a month, which is, of course, fair enough. Mm. But if it's a one-month block, just put... I guess if you could give us a bit of an insight. So if you're a football technology manager or, or any member of the sport, the supporting staff, um, you're there without, like with your immediate family, but like you, you'd it'd just be you, your immediate family away from home for a month. Is that, is that it? Or? Yeah. 
to my knowledge, not a lot of staff have taken their families with them. Right. Um, I'm less connected to that sort of part of the game uh, than I was, obviously. But yeah, um, yeah uh, as far as I understand it, there's a lot of um, a lot of staff that are just away with the team as if they were on a you know weekend interstate trip. It's just four right. weeks long. For a month. Yeah, but well. um, you know, footy clubs are really, really good at um, getting around each other and supporting each other, and even you know, implementing little fun things to do or groups to go and enjoy things with, yeah. um, you know, more than anyone really. That sort of team aspect does does flow on to the coaches and the staff and, um, you know, they'd be doing everything they can to keep everyone mentally fresh, give them enough time off. Um, the restrictions being lifted a little bit more as of yesterday, um, as far as I know, will help that too. Um, and they'll find ways to sort of keep fresh and keep engaged and, give people you know the space to do things that they like doing outside of footy as much as possible and then um yeah get back to business each week so um they're you know footy's still serious business but you know when they're in an extraordinary situation like this um they can band together pretty quickly and, and make sure that everyone's um in the right headspace and still enjoying the time and not making it a grind and being sitting in your hotel room for 10 hours a day or train and then go back and get locked down again so yeah, it almost feels like in this situation, like if you're a player, at least you've got the weekends to sort of showcase your skills and you're on the big stage and, and you, you know, you're doing what you're there for. Whereas if you're one of the support staff, like you're still going through all the pain of being away from home for a month, but yep. there's no, well, you were a football technology man. Like if it was someone like you, where, when is the most rewarding part of the week for, for someone in, in your type of role? Um, that's a really good question. I think um, game day is obviously the biggest test in um, in in sport, no matter what your role. Um, when I was working, I, my sort of pride was not in the result because we didn't have much of an influence over it. And that's what I tell any sort of young person that I get to speak to about, you know, what it's like to sort of get into the industry and how you you can maintain your longevity. But yeah. we always just sort of prided ourselves on our execution. So trying to keep things as simple as possible, even though we're dealing with some complicated um, technologies and systems and setups but um, trying to keep things as simple as possible but execute week in week out and um, a lot of that can get hidden in the results you know you might have a, a year where you've you've really nailed everything and you've you've set it up as best you can and you've played your role in um, allowing the coaches and players to you know execute as best they can on game day um, you know, it's that old adage where you only notice things when they're broken. So, um, you know, you've had a good day when no one really needs to talk to you all that much. Um, you know, they just bowl into the coach's box. It's all set up. You know, you think about it like a cockpit in an aeroplane. Everyone's clear on where they're sitting. Um, you know, you'd be surprised at how much planning goes into it. There's, you know, there'd be literally even, especially now with the restrictions in how far apart they're allowed to sit, but there'd be a map of the coach's box and, you know, people's initials about where they're sitting and then, what computer they got in front of them, what information that they're going to see. And you just do that week in, week out. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, for me, it was about the attention to detail, um, being able to be calm on match day, just compose, not, not let any sort of stress get the better of you, um, be planned as much as possible, get there early, um, and just keep executing and do it week after week. And then, you know, and adapt if you need to. You know, your first couple of rounds, you're always sort of, flying by the seat of your pants a little bit. But, you know, when you get in the rhythm of the season, if you're planned enough and you're detailed enough, 
um, the rest of the year just sort of flows on and you can layer on a few more things if you need to once you're comfortable with the original setup. Right. And um, I guess in terms of the, the actual footy itself, like how, how did you find uh, round two of the AFL last weekend? Yeah, it was great. I, um, as I said, it's great to seem, or it's great that the AFL seems to not be quite predictable at the moment. So um, yeah, a few upsets is good for the sport. Um, a few big upsets too. Yeah, so, I would have um, Gold Coast beating the West Coast by 40 odd points or whatever it was, was yeah. an upset is one way to put it, but that was, that was crazy. Yeah, no, it's good. I think um, the, you can't underestimate the lack of a crowd having such a massive influence over the team performance now. You know, it's not black and white, obviously, but I think um, the teams that can sort of bottle their own intensity and do it for as long as they possibly can, even with the shorter quarters, are the ones who are going to succeed. So, you know, yeah, it's not yeah, like teams don't turn up to play. Sorry, say that again. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, do you think that's a maturity thing as well? Like uh, now we've had three rounds in, in the NRL, which I've been following here in Sydney. Um, I found that the more, I guess, mature clubs are doing quite well. Whereas the, I guess the, like, for example, the New Zealand Warriors have been away from home for more than a month now. They've had a couple of good results, but it feels like the more younger or the, like the, the inexperienced teams, they're really going to struggle, especially the longer season, the longer the season goes. But what do you, what do you think of the, I guess, main factors? Yeah, I don't know. The age thing in footy um, might not be as big a factor. I think, um, you know, your youth playing footy and just getting out there and running around, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for youthful exuberance because they're not, yeah. they're not worried about being in a hub. They just go and deal with it. You know, they just go, you know, hang out in a hotel room and... You got your PlayStation, of course. Yeah, that's right. They play PlayStation. They got, they got the competitive juices flowing and they just go and play footy on the weekends and they're not scarred by, you know, many years of playing footy and sort of overthink it. So, you know, the Suns were a great example. They just seemed to just go and go and go and just wanted to get out there. Um, beat a good side in the Eagles, who um, will be fine. They just got had a terrible day. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, my theory was always going to be that the, the better coached sides um, and the more mature sides might actually thrive, but it might not be the case. I think, um, you know, the big asterisk was going to be on the teams that had to fly day again. Um, my gut feel was that was going to be a big ask for some sides to, you know, get up on a game day at maybe... 6, 6.30, depending on where they live and <clears throat> take an 8am charter flight to Sydney, for example. But, yeah, um, you know, the two teams that did that on the weekend actually won. So, yeah, um, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Once you've got sort of a six-week sample size, you might find that um, it could be seen as a disadvantage or it could be a great advantage for teams to just fly in, take the points and come home. Well, I was actually, that, that's actually a really interesting point you mentioned. In terms of how long you wait to sort of start thinking about the impacts of everything that's going on. So with, we were talking about, um, what was it? Uh, the, in, in the NRL, it's been three rounds in now, but I guess it's similar to the AFL. Like with the AFL, you've got the 16 minute quarters now. That's, that's obviously a big change. You had a mini, was it, was it a two or a three week preseason? Yeah, probably about a three weeker. Yeah, yeah, I think there's only one session a week they were able to train as a whole full group. Right, and the contact sessions, I think, were, were even less than that. So, yeah. basically, you've got the 16-minute quarters, big change, you've got the mini mini preseason, that was a big change. And then you've got the hubs and the fly-in, fly-out. There's a lot of disruption and change, A, in the, in the um, situation, but also being the, the actual games themselves. With the NRL, you've got some similarities in that you've got the, 
you know, the, the hums and the, the fly in fly out stuff, but they also made a really big rule change with the, with the six again call. That was a, a really big change in terms of how the game works and how the game looks, but, and the no crowds in both sports. So I think some really significant changes in, in both sports and, like I, I was telling you before we, before we started recording that I'm, we're looking into at Sport Tech Daily, we're building out our rugby league database and starting to make some decisions on, you know, how, lo- how much of an impact that's had. Um, but from, a, from your perspective, like how many rounds of AFL do you think we need to see before we can at least start making some judgments on what impact it's, it's having? Yeah, I think you need a really good four-week block and you also need to... There's always context around... Um, results so um, you can't just have a knee-jerk reaction to one single game or one aspect of a single game or you know because um, you know when you really look at it your one game sample size on Friday night where or Thursday night where um, everyone was worried about the state of the game because it was 36-36 but you know as the people forget that you know there would have been a game in June last year that ended up like that with two um, great sides. It's just everyone was just looking forward to footy coming back so much that they were disappointed that yeah. um, it wasn't a shootout. But teams that were um, they're really solid defensively, they're just great at stopping the opposition from doing what they want to do. Um, that was probably inevitable. So it was good to see um, the rest of the round reasonably free of, um, of that sort of style. Um, you're going to get some anomalies here and there. But I think you need a four-week block before you decide things like, you know, whether the hubs are detrimental or whether flying fly-out teams are um, advantaged or disadvantaged or whether some are suited to shorter quarters. Um, yeah, I think my gut feel is the, the biggest thing at the moment is is the teams that can generate their own intensity and yep. their own and deal with the momentum, I guess. So the Melbourne-Carlton game was a great example. You had um, Melbourne sort of come out of the blocks and um, blow Carlton away and then play a little bit more defensively. So... Um, if you try and sort of save the game or keep the game by being a little bit more defensive, do you lose that intensity that you've generated yourselves without a crowd there? Yeah. Um, so much so that you sort of hand it back to the opposition a little bit. So yeah. um, that's going to be the key. And um, it was really great to see North Melbourne, who are probably criminally underrated, you know, knock off the Giants. But um, that's probably due to their coaching and the, the, a game style that's probably going to stand up really well in these sorts of conditions where you just keep it simple, really honest players who know their role, um, yeah. you know, break footy down to its um, simplest aspects, you know, don't have to overcomplicate things, especially this year. Um, get as many wins as you can and who knows. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one month block. Um, I think obviously then teams have some home and away games. You get some time to sort of settle in and figure out what's going on. But I've got to say, it's just a like a footy fan myself, not getting too technical and and sort of looking into it too deeply. I was pretty concerned when I was look. Uh, I watched the the start of the the Richmond Collingwood game on Thursday, and they just couldn't handle the ball. <laughs> and yeah. I was thinking, oh shit, this is because they've had a three week preseason. This is looking really really bad. But then I watched the Swans game on the Saturday, and I was like, oh, finally, all right, this is great. This is <laughs> yeah. Well, the pies the pies actually. Their ball handling and their um, their skills early in that half, that first half, were, um, were outstanding. They were. They were Richmond, that was really poor, right? Yeah, yeah, Richmond had a had a bit of a bit of trouble, but it was good to see that the Pies were um, were right on their game, and that was one thing that really stood out. And they just had their troubles sort of 
converting it on the scoreboard a little bit. So, um, you know, and dare I say it, those two are so well coached that they probably wouldn't want to shown their cards in round two. Yeah. And they're likely to meet each other in about 18 weeks time in the final series. So um, they're not going to pull out all their tricks just now. Um, they know that they've got a, um, probably enough wins in them to make the finals. Um, there will be a few surprises, but in theory, those two will be at the pointy end in September or October when they're playing. Um, and so, yeah, they're not going to show everything just yet. And uh, the knee-jerk reaction from round two to round three will be the interesting one. So I think, um, you know, not that it's a, it's sort of dictated by the betting, but at the moment, the, the Eagles are underdogs against the Lions. Um, the Demons are being treated like they've lost and they're underdogs against the Bombers. Right. Um, and even the Crows, they face the Suns um, and have had a, had a pretty stinging loss themselves and then go and travel, which can galvanise a group. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see all three of them at least play well, if not win. Yeah, well, you're getting me excited for round, round three now. Um, yeah. Well, I guess the last thing that I just wanted to bring up on the topic of, I guess there's just so many disruptions and, and so many changes from a normal footy season. Um, who's your sort of dark horse or your, your unexpected pick to make, not necessarily win the grand final, but go deep into, I was going to say it's October, but I think yeah, October. They're playing in October. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big racing man. It's encroaching on the, uh, on the spring carnival, but I think that's a good thing. Yeah. They're not going to overlap. So it's, um, you get to get to have a weekend bonanza of footy, which is oh, it's going to be an amazing couple of months of sport. Like you'll have the end of the the AFL, the NRL, the the racing, mm. and then going to a big cricketing summer. So, yep. anyways, I'm, I'm getting excited. Day in the grand final will be uh will be just the best day of sport. Yeah, um, well, it, it's funny. I was actually mentioning to my friends that even if no one else is keen, I'm going to fly to Melbourne for grand final week in the AFL with yep. everything going on. If if we are able to, I we think. might not let you in. Yeah, <laughs> well, fingers crossed, I can get in. But um. <laughs> Well, what I was saying was, yeah, if um, if you had to pick a dark horse to make it deep into the finals, um, that obviously would it be un- unexpected. Who would you say and, and why? Um, well, my my pick to win it's still Collingwood. I'm still very bullish about them. Um, I reckon they are. Uh, they've got all the ingredients in this sort of season to um, to make it work. Uh, I think the the biggest underdog. I had early in the season was Port Adelaide um, prior to playing these two games. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, I think they might be overrated for the next two or three weeks, given who they've played. Um, yeah. They probably just played a, a vulnerable sun side in that really uncertain round one and then a, a Crows team that's in full rebuild mode. So, um, But I do think that they've got the mix right of the players that they need in the game style that um, should stand up. Um, and then the rest of them, I think you're going to find a massive block of six to eight teams that are just fighting, you know, come round 16 or 17 for that, that last couple of spots. And you could easily win it from eighth this year. Yeah. Um, you know, percentage is going to be a massive factor. So teams that can run up the scoreboard um, pretty quickly and easily will be more advantage. So you start looking at sides that can score quickly. Um, Melbourne's one of them, even though their sort of midfield forward connection struggled at times, if that can click, they can um, they can get to 100 points in a 16-minute quarter um, format. Uh, even this year, uh, Port Adelaide's the same. The Lions have some um, pretty big scoring power too, so um, they'll be one to watch. And then the other ones that are a bit more defensive, um, in in my opinion, might struggle a little bit more um, because if you can't be explosive and 
take advantage of when you've got the momentum and put it on the scoreboard, then uh, other sides might be able to run you down or your percentage might be under 100 and that's going to make it tough to squeeze into the eight if you're on the same wins. On, on that note, any um, any teams that you think might struggle? Um, oh, I was not as bullish on Hawthorne as others were. It's, I mean, it sounds great in hindsight given how poorly they played against the, the Cats. Um, yeah. I just wasn't as, as bullish on them, but, you know, who knows? Clarko's a magician and their players are well coached and they've still got some great quality in there. Um, I just I think that they might uh, be the one that ends up the surprise packet. Um, the doggies are under the pump, obviously. Yeah. Um, they've got a few things to fix, but if they can get going, they've shown that you know you can string three, four, five wins together pretty uh, pretty quickly. And you know they did the same thing last year. They sort of slow start and then charged off into the eight and um, were pretty dangerous until they hit a rampant GWS in the final series. So um, you know I wouldn't write anyone off just yet. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, look, um, it was a much, a much more, I guess, entertaining and, and positive chat this time around. A lot less um, doom and gloom. Yeah. A lot less. Um, yeah, really excited to stay in touch and obviously see and hear all about your work um, in the next sort of couple of months. Would be great to, great to touch base when we've got a little bit more of a sample size with the AFL. But yeah. um, thanks for coming on and, and uh, we'll put the links to your blog and, and your sort of social media and everything so uh, the, the listeners can check it out. Yeah, great. Jump on behind the footy.com.au. Reviews and previews every week. We'll see how we go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, Pete. We'll chat to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to check out more of our content, go to sporttechdaily.com or follow us on social media across Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram.